What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hi, this is Steve. Every once in a while, there is a collaboration between director and actor that is so iconic and groundbreaking that it leaves an indelible mark on the history of film. We've already talked about two such collaborations on the cinephiles, De Niro and Scorsese and John Wayne and John Ford. This week's pairing is no less powerful. Director Akira Kurosawa first saw Toshiro Mifune at an open casting call and was immediately struck by his raw power and inventiveness. Their collaboration began with 1948's Drunken Angel and continued through some of Kurosawa's most famous films, Rashomon, The Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, and Hidden Fortress. Well, now, John and I plan on hitting a bunch of these on the cinephiles, but the film we decided to start with shows both men at the top of their game. In Yojimbo, Kurosawa's breathtaking camera work, incredible editing, and flawless storytelling combine perfectly with a performance by Mifune that is as iconic as it is unknowable. But don't take our word for it. We highly recommend that you check out this masterpiece before listening to our podcast. And there's no better way to do that than to buy the Criterion Collection Blu-ray from our website, cinephiles.net. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S dot net. There you'll find every podcast we've ever done, as well as links to purchasing every movie we've talked about. Check it out and join us this Friday for Akira Kurosawa. Tashiro Mifune and Yojimbo. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of shows here in L.A., and occasionally an actor as well. And today we get to do it again. We get to introduce a new great director. Yes. One of the great directors, the most, one of the most lauded directors of all time. Finally. Yeah, Akira Kurosawa. hoo We have had so many requests to do Kurosawa films, yeah. and, and I, you were just saying well, before we got on the mic, and I agree, I think we picked the right one to start with. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, were, you know, obviously Seven Samurai is considered his epic, his classic, but I think if we're going to walk into uh, Kurosawa, this is a great one to walk yeah. into with, and it's short enough that people get a dose, and then when we hit Samurai, which we will at some point down the road, absolutely, it's going to be a three-hour podcast probably. Well, and I think this has been yours and my instinct from the beginning. It's, yeah. like, it's like when we did our first Tarantino, we did Reservoir Dogs. You're right. We didn't jump into Pulp Fiction. When we did when we did Orson Welles we didn't do Citizen Kane not yet you know we did Touch of Evil like we you know it's that there's this instinct of like we want to walk into the filmmaker and kind of introduce them and then you know when we get up to it (laughs) 
Yeah, Rebel we're gets gonna strong enough. Because Seven Samurai is going to be, that's going to be a big one. That's an opus. Yeah, and it's it's coming. There's yeah, no question we're going to do that film. And so but Citizen to, King. But today we're going to talk about Yojimbo. And normally when uh, we do this show, the first thing I ask you is how you first came to the film. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you something else sure, first, sure. which is which is how did you first come to the world the world of the samurai in Japan? Oh, and, and and maybe to Kurosawa before we get to how you first came to Yojimbo. That's a great so. question, Steve. Uh, I I some things that I'm I think we're born with this interest or attraction to certain cultures, right? And for me, the British culture and the Japanese culture yeah. have been the top two cultures that me have too. been me too. yeah have just gravitated. There's a nobility, there's an honor, and yes, there's a very complicated history with their colonialism and the politics. Yeah, certainly, but there's a nobility in both those empires that you can find in the stories. And and I to me. The Japanese Empire, much so with samurai. The samurai, there's a nobility in soldiers, there's a nobility in service, there's a nobility to your lord, and there's also interest within this idea of a wandering samurai, ronin. So there's so much involved in samurai that isn't just serving. You know, I've, I even bought the book of samurai by, I think, Honsuke, Honsuke something like that, hmm. which has all the tenets of how you would be a samurai right. if you wanted to. And I've always been fascinated by the sword. That's why I love Kill Bill so much, both one right. and two, because of the Hatari Hanzo sword. Those things have always just spoke to me because there's something... I've just always was born with this instinct to gravitate to to characters of nobility and I've always seen the samurai this way absolutely and I think there's a as you say there's a real connection between England yeah and in Japan, and particularly in this sense which is that you know we talked about Excalibur and we Mm -hmm. talked about King Arthur right and the knight it's another thing yeah and the code of chivalry mm-hmm. is there's a direct parallel between the code of chivalry and the knight and the samurai and the code of bushido. Yeah, you know there's a real connection there, and there's something I think for guys like you and I yeah. and for a lot of other people that's just a tra- the 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 sort of black and white honor. Everything is towards this duty. The word yeah. is giri would be the Japanese word, ah. and and that that's something really attractive and we you kind of think maybe for me like measuring myself as a young man it's like oh would i be a samurai right maybe would i be able to do that yeah you know if, so for, here's my story okay. so so uh it's gonna it takes it's a little bit uh meandering but <laughs> so it my love of this started where i was a boy scout okay and i'm backpacking with my troop in in um, a place called philmont in new mexico mm-hmm. and a friend of mine mark mathis is reading this really thick book and it has a white cover and red letter and I go, oh, what is that? And he goes, oh, and he tells me, I read like the first page and there's like a race car thing in it. And I go, okay. Right. And I just remembered that cover because it was so iconic. And yeah. then three years later, I'm in Israel traveling with my confirmation class. And I had read through all the Piers Anthony and Isaac Asimov oh, and yeah. stuff I had brought with me. And I needed a new book. And I'm in Jerusalem in a bookstore. And there I see this big, thick book with this white cover with this red lettering. And that book is James Clavell's Noble House. Wow. And that's where I bought it. And I okay. bore, blasted through it when yeah. I was in Israel. And then I read everything else by him. And that led me to Shogun. Oh, right. And when I was in high school, James Clavell instantly became my favorite writer of all time. Wow. Now, is he still my favorite writer? No. <laughs> um, I still have a real love for those books. Yeah. But Shogun led me to Japan. And, How interesting. Yeah. And I read those books over and over and over again. And that led me to Akira Kurosawa. Right. And that led me to Samurai Films. It led me to Musashi Miyamoto and Book of Five Rings. Yes. And that led me to Lone Wolf and Cub, the yeah. great the great Japanese comic book, one of the great things of all time. Right. And so over and over, I'm going back to this world of the samurai. And really, and of course, 
later on was when I really started doing martial arts and mm -hmm. now, of course, did Aikido for so long. And so there's this, all these connections between me and Japan. Right. Um, and a lot of it just comes back to that first love of the idea right. of the samurai. Well, David, I didn't get to flesh out my story like that. Well, I thought, uh, I thought I, about it on the way here. <laughs> so give me, well, give me some seconds here. Then, then I, I would say, yes, it, I instinctually was drawn to it. But I, when I discovered, uh, when I started exploring film, when I was in, uh, when I was at Charlottesville, Virginia, in Charlottesville, Virginia, I started to discover film. Right, my friend who who had gone to film school, Wade Nizolek, he just moved out here. He put me in essence in his film class, and so mm. I would go to the University of Virginia and I would watch a laserdisc for hours on end. Right, just sit there because you could rent them out and actually sit there and watch them all day. Yeah. And Seven Samurai was the first thing, and from there. I started to go into all kinds of stuff because then I started. I bought Ronin, the Frank Miller Ronin, which I think is oh, still it's amazing. Yeah, and Lone Wolf and Cub, I collected by issue as well, but also the Samurai trilogy. Anything right. and Mufuni became anything Mufuni did. I watched Hell in the Pacific. You know, that's a fascinating movie. By the way, I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, and my memory is it's amazing, it and is. then it just ends, and you're like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, so to me, it always has. It always I've always gravitated to. So I and a number of my Criterion Collection films are samurai films because yeah. there's just something about that, those characters that are fascinating to explore. Yeah. In a way, almost as much as Seven Samurai, yeah. Yojimbo, I think, is the archetypal samurai film. Absolutely. You know, and, and the character, because the character that Mifune plays in Seven Samurai is very different. Yes. And the character that he plays in Yojimbo, this is the iconic character. Yes. yes. In the way that Samurai, Seven Samurai is not, right. which is not to say Seven Samurai isn't one of the greatest films of all time. Of course. Nothing about that. But just this Yojimbo Mifune character, yeah, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, strangely enough, I have no memory of the first time I saw Yojimbo. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm sure it was in that college era mm -hmm. when I was renting sure, a whole sure. bunch of uh, Kurosawa films. I don't remember particularly seeing it. Yeah, I've seen it many times. I've known it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you remember when you first yeah, saw it? Yeah, once again, when I was there in Charlottesville, I saw because the thing that stuck with me was the opening score. Like, the I oh, just great. just a great score, right? Great. The, do, 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 do the drums, the weird kind of beating on the wood. Like, all of that that was going on through the beginning of the film has always stuck with me and stayed with me because it was such an unusual beginning to a samurai film. And a lot of reviews that you read on, on Yojimbo tell you that it broke the convention of what had been a samurai film. And I would encourage people who are listening to when you're done with this podcast go on to Netflix and watch the biography the documentary on Toshiro Mifune and they go all the way back to the 1900s and they legitimately have film of samurai films from the 1920s 1910s mm. which see, I haven't is, seen this documentary oh you've I, got yeah. it's so good and it's fascinating to see the progression of the samurai film from what had been in essence a glorified kabuki theater right. or with these tropes and these cliches to what Kurosawa did which was elevate the genre out of what had essentially been a B-movie genre right. into something that was completely different and Yojimbo is essentially a western obviously but right. it's also breaking the conventions that had been going for such a long time um, so I want to before we get into it, I think yeah. we got two big, huge personalities in this yes. film. We've got to do a little bit of background on them. I actually just reread Kurosawa's autobiography okay. uh, to prep for this. I didn't read Emperor and the Wolf. Which no, is should a, you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I struggled <laughs> through that book a few years ago when it came out. It's a big, thick book about Mifune and Kurosawa, yeah. and uh, I didn't have the. It's the, 970 pages in paperback. Yeah, that's how big of a it's book a, it it's is. It's a lot of book. It is, but his, uh, Kurosawa is something like. 
like an autobiography. It's like 150 pages. Yes. So much easier to get through. <laughs> um, and he's got a fascinating life. And I don't want to go spend too long on it. But I do want to yeah. go into a little detail. Because there's some things that happen in his life which I think are really thematic mm -hmm. in terms of uh, his filmmaking. So the first thing is, is he comes from an old samurai family. Yeah. And his father is a famous soldier who becomes essentially like the PE teacher at his school. And one of the interesting things about his father who is, cares a great deal about kendo and japanese which mm -hmm. kendo is japanese or swordsmanship and uh cares about calligraphy and traditional japanese yeah. sort of samurai values but he also likes baseball and basketball and he brings uh western sports and stuff into his world and mm -hmm. he likes american films and french films and he exposes kurosawa as a young man to all that stuff right and there's this right at the beginning this mix that we see with kurosawa is a love of very traditional japanese stuff but a total openness to the West and other art and other ideas coming from other places. Yeah. Um, uh, so he, he grows up, seems like he was a pretty interesting kid. He had a really strong relationship with his, he had two older brothers, but the middle older brother, who's about four years older than him, really strong relationship with him and really idolized him. Mm -hmm. And he was around in 1923, there was the great Kanto earthquake, which uh, pretty much wiped out Tokyo. Tens of thousands of people mm. were killed. There's a huge fire. And his brother said, come on, Akira. And he took him out to where all the destruction is, where there are literally thousands of dead bodies of corpses wow. everywhere. And he forces his little brother, who's 13, 12, 13 mm -hmm. at the time, to look. And he wanted to look away. And he's like, no, you have to see all of this. And they did all day. They looked at dead bodies. Wow. And that seems like it had a profound effect mm. on Kurosawa. Mm. And that combined with what happened in World War II, because they're literally, when he's uh, first becoming a director and working as assistant director, it's during the firebombing of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. You know, like he is surrounded by death and destruction. And it seems to me, this is my feeling, and you see it in Yojimbo, you see it in Seven Samurai, you see it in Ron, is that Kurosawa is sort of fascinated by this moment when the world falls apart. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do when the structure and the society suddenly isn't working the way it's supposed to? Yeah. And we're in chaos. And do you become a hero or a villain? And what, what happens to us without that structure? That seems yeah. to me to be a big theme with Kurosawa. Absolutely. I think that absolutely applies to you, Jimbo. And especially, it's not just hero, villain, coward. Right. Or, or uh, just a cog in the system in order yeah. to survive. Right. You remove all nobility from your survival because it's just about surviving. Right. And we see this in Yojimbo because there's two bosses in one town. Right. And in one of the opening exchanges that you know, uh, Sanjuro has with the, uh, uh, the old man who's running the restaurant is like the old man says there should only be one boss. It's right. easier when there's one boss. Right. So you're talking about chaos is two bosses because the town right. can never just move forward. It's constantly stuck in a perpetual state of of balance but not in a good way yeah right well and the same in ron suddenly yeah. there's multiple bosses yes. essentially yeah well and 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 in seven samurai it's like we have these we're, we're constantly seeing the villagers who are just trying to get by mm -hmm. are they just trying to live and same with the the innkeeper yeah. in yojimbo it's like yeah. we're just trying to live our lives here right and yet we're caught in the middle of this chaos mm -hmm. uh so uh Kurosawa becomes a, a tries to be a painter that's kind of his first work and obviously you can see the painterly qualities he's going to show later on yeah and uh his older brother that he idolizes is a silent film narrator which is this weird oh. art form <laughs> that happened particularly in japan is there with these people who became quite famous 
famous yeah. and they would talk you through the silent film and they would play different characters and give their voices and explain things that are happening on screen and right. they became like stars in their own right wow. and his older brother becomes one of these guys and then what happens is the silent film era ends and yeah. he goes out of work and his older brother kills himself wow yeah and four months after that his eldest brother who he wasn't close to also died and the, so died or killed himself died just died died okay. yeah so he lost both his brothers including the one he idolized to suicide and that put him just into a depression and trying sure. to figure out what to do with his life and he ended up applying for this job at uh what became toho studios as an assistant director mm -hmm. and uh one of the things we should explain is that an assistant director at this time in japan is totally different from what an assistant director is in yeah. the United States. Yes. Because you think, you hear, oh, assistant director, oh, that's the person next in charge to the director doing director stuff. Right. That's not what it is in the United States. An AD in the United States is an unbelievably hard job. Mm -hmm. It takes incredible talent and organization and the logistical skill and an amazing temperament. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a creative job. The assistant director is the person who runs the set. Mm -hmm. And their job, whether you're making a horror film or making a sci-fi film, whatever, their job is just to make stuff happen. Yeah. Uh, and it's really difficult. I don't mean any disrespect to ADs. It's an amazing job. But that's not what happened in Toho Studios when Akira Kurosawa joined. Right. What they wanted their assistant directors to do was this was the training ground to become a director. Hmm. and which it should be which yeah i mean right well and this is the thing in our world today there is no training ground to become a director not really yeah someone's like oh you wrote a great screenplay and now you get to be a director but yes. you might have no experience with cameras or actors or editing right you know so oh you're a great cinematographer now you get to be a director but you might not know anything about actors or screenwriting right you know and what Corsell went through was he was trained mm -hmm. in particular from this director yamada who he worked with a lot who he called yamasan mm -hmm. and yamada forced him to write scripts and then forced him he would do things like like he would shoot half the day and he would go, okay, Akira, you finish out shooting the day. And he would leave because hmm. he was like, he wanted to force him mm -hmm. to, he saw something in Kurosawa and he wanted to for, he forced him into the editing room yeah. and he made him re-edit. Like he would have his editor editing things and he would have Kurosawa editing things and he would, you know, <laughs> dismiss it and go, no, it's not good enough. Not good enough. Mm -hmm. And force, he would force him to work with composers over and over again. And this goes on for five years where he works with this guy. Wow. And, and that's really where it gets formed. Then his first film is Sanshiro Sugata, mm -hmm. uh, which he makes in the middle of World War II for very little money. And by the way, that, Sanshiro Sugata, my first screenplay, I wrote an adaptation of that. Oh, wow. That's my, the first thing I wrote. Huh. Um, and it becomes a big hit. Yeah. And his career goes up and up and up until he uh, meets this young actor named Tashira Mifune. And Mifune was born in China, which I didn't remember, mm -hmm. lived his first 17 years of his life in China. His mm -hmm. parents were Japanese, yeah. and they were Methodist ministers that were out trying to convert uh, the Chinese. And then he comes back right at the beginning of World War II. He becomes an aerial photographer. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up working in the camera department at Toho. And someone, not to his knowledge, submits him for this acting search. Yep. And where it's like, we're looking for new faces. And so he goes, okay. And he comes in audition. And Kurosawa is off shooting a movie somewhere else on the set. And one of someone comes up to him and says, you got to come see this guy. Right. And they bring Kurosawa over. And he sees this guy that is just furious raging and he realizes he's acting mm -hmm. and the guy sits down but the you could the rage is still in him and he's just glaring at the judges who are judging this contest and they decide to dump him they're like we don't want this yeah, guy yeah he's too emotional and Kurosawa and Yamada his uh, yeah. his sort of teacher they both make this plea no no 
you got to keep this guy. Yeah. And Kurosawa, he first acts for this director Yamada. His second film, Kurosawa casts him in the lead in Drunken Angel. Yeah. And that, and they make sixteen movies together. I mean, this is one of the great collaborations in film history. Yeah. People talk Scorsese and De Niro. Exactly. This is this is better. Beyond. Yeah. yeah because they, they they only did a few or Scorsese and DiCaprio. This is better. This is something else because. They make they created masterpieces together, yeah. right? And they both inspired each other and drove each yep. other, fueled each other until eventually they fell apart. Yeah, they fell apart and they could never come back together. And they never in the documentary, the Mafuni documentary, uh, Kurosawa never sent, never went to visit him after they broke up. Like he said, I he sent a, a beautiful eulogy to Mafuni after he passed, and Kurosawa died like nine months later, eight yeah. months later. But he sent him a, this beautiful eulogy, but he never showed up to like say goodbye to him and. Does, like never and as as Buffoon was dying of cancer and and uh, and he just never did so it was just fascinating to see that this it broke up so hard and there's a you know there's a nobility in that too because the Japanese are proud people right so but yet they have this history of subjugation in within their own culture samurai is supposed to subjugate right when the servants serve they like bow down the bowing down is how you say hi what we see is subjugation is honor to them is respect to them right but once the relationship broke apart it's fascinating that they couldn't find a way to put it back together as they got older because you would think that would be something that would happen you know as they get as you get older in life it's so hard because first as a young man i I would hear about stories of oh these two brothers that didn't talk to each other you know and i go well how do you do that you know how do you not make up and then as i've grown older now i've been around them yeah and now i even have one in my life right you know and i and it's it's one of those things about growing older is you suddenly go oh that's how yeah that's how that happens you know and 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 it's so sad because you look at like this is one of the great artistic collaborations of all time yes and the fact that and and neither of them would be who they were without the other absolutely and they both must know that yes you know they both must know that and yet they cannot you know after redbeard that's that's it they can't yeah yeah and uh, and in this film and i will talk about a little more as we progress but in this film unknowingly he is introducing the person who's going to replace Mafuni, which is mm. Tatsuyara Nakadai, who comes in and takes right. as the guy who holds the gun or wields the right. gun throughout the whole film. That is the guy who will take uh, Mafuni's place as his muse up until the last films, almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's just... Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because I understand like 16 movies to make with someone, that's a lot. It is a lot, 16, and, yeah. And one of the things about Kurosawa is he did work with the same group of people sure. over and over again. He's very loyal. Yeah, very loyal. He liked his group of actors. Yeah. And it's interesting, like even between Yojimbo and Sanjuro, which is the sequel to Yojimbo, yeah. he has actors coming back who mm-hmm. died in the movie yeah, before. Exactly. You yeah. know, which is weird, which is one thing if yeah. you have characters that are unrelated, but when you have the same character again, <laughs> that guy's dead. Um, all right, so yeah. let's get into the movie. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we have a great opening shot of these mountains and the back of Mafuni's head. Yeah. And that music, which is, uh, so I think great. Saito is the name of the composer. Yes. And it is just, you're instantly, what, something's going on here. Mm-hmm. Just Mafuni's presence on screen is yeah. just powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. And, 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 and he's kind of like the mountain in this film. Yeah. You know, he is so unmovable and unknowable. You know, he's, and you see it right at the very beginning. From behind. From behind. And this is really important. From behind. We're already, like, he's already a mystery to us. Like, what they've done with, obviously, what they do later with Man With No Name, with Clean Eastwood and Sergio Leone, borrowing right. liberally from Kurosawa, we see... Stealing. Still, okay, sure, stealing. But we see this situation here coming in, and it's perfect 
because it's not he doesn't convey that kind of necessary nobility but he conveys a strength of this samurai that's from behind we have to come to him right you said the mountain the mountain does not come to Mohammed right. Mohammed's got to come to the mountain sometimes well this is the thing with Mifuni is that the 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 traditional samurai thing is perfection yes and Mufuni's kind of dirty. Yeah, you know he is gruff and dirty mm-hmm. and he's yeah, unshaven, unshaven. Yet. Yeah, um, and he's clearly you know he's wearing something that has a crest that seems yes. to come from a family. Yes, but he's been through some times. Yeah, you know, and he comes to a crossroads and he picks up a stick mm-hmm. and looks at where the stick falls and that's where he goes. Yeah. What a great way to introduce a character. <laughs> that's right. Oh, and also those are those are cemetery. Are those headstones? I feel like those are oh, headstones. Are or maybe they're directions. I don't know. Maybe. I was, always thought they were milestones. Maybe they're milestones. Maybe yeah. they're milestones. You're probably right. Yeah. But it just seemed like odd on every corner where he's standing, there are milestones. So it's just interesting Maybe. To me. It could be. I don't know. We have to get our Japanese expert. That's Whoever, true. When <laughs> you're listening to this, please let us know what, what, what those are. Exactly. Um, and he comes up to this father and son having an argument. Yeah. Son wants to go to town. Father wants to keep him on the farm. Mifuni sort of listens, gets a drink, and the father starts getting angry. And the father which is a really interesting moment to show some disrespect to Mifuni. Yes. Which is really surprising. Well, because he's a ronin. Yeah. He sees him initially, uh, and he sees him and he gives him water, but then, this is what's fascinating about this whole uh, exchange that happens between the father and the son, then the, then the father and the wife, and then uh, the, uh, the father and his wife, and then uh, Mifuni. It is 1961, this film. Right. This is when the 60s are happening, this whole beginning of this process of the young generation pushing back against the old generation wanting something different so it's fascinating to hear this dialogue in 2017 happening in 1961 which is based out of what in the the, what 1700s 1800s whenever this is set that so this whole idea that's a universal thing that kids kids sure. ever, yeah, it's always the generation that's after you that supposedly wants it easier than your generation but every generation before and after says the same thing you know those kids they want money they just want to gamble and make that money easy and why didn't you stop him and it's, you can't stop kids these days you know and then you treat the outsider who's listening so terribly and he makes this comment about the government I think it's a veiled attack at Japan at Japan's system of government at that time as well well I, I let me let me add some of the yeah. stuff to this. So first of all, the movie takes place in 1860. 1860, okay. And 1860 is a really important moment in Japanese history mm-hmm. because because the Tokugawa shogunate, which is the Yedo period, starts in 1600. Yeah. And that's what actually the story of Shogun is, is that the, is that the Toronaga character in Shogun is mm-hmm. really Tokugawa. Okay. And Tokugawa is takes over, conquers Japan, yeah. unifies it, and then has an extremely strong bureaucratic uh, government covering all of Japan for the next 260, 268 years. Right. So wow. we are in the collapse of the Yedo period. Right. So that really strong bureaucracy that had ruled Japan so well is now falling apart Mm -hmm. so this is a key transitional moment in history and he the wandering samurai is representing the older culture right and what because what happens when essentially the emperor becomes because the emperor had been a figurehead under the shogun for like a thousand years and and the next period the emperor becomes in charge again yeah and the first thing they do is eliminate the samurai class Mm -hmm. and they go away so this is the dying older um system right represented by Mifuni and the newer system represented by the uh, the emperor and the merchant class. Yeah, which you see in Last Samurai. Right. To a degree, the Tom Cruise it's movie. exactly the same yeah, era. Exactly. This yeah. is an era we look at a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to... To translate that to 1961 in Japan yeah. is that is that in 1945 that period uh, run by the emperor the militaristic period 
also ended hmm. and is now being replaced by the merchant manufacturing period. And because yeah. this is in the mid 50s on through the 60s is the rise of manufacturing Japan, yeah. where the merchant class and the manufacturing business class became ascendant. And so they are reject this generation is rejecting the military Japanese empire right. era in favor of what is the new Japan. And so this is again, you know, so both when the movie is made and yeah. when the movie takes place are in these transitional moments. And it seems like, again, that's where I think Kurosawa likes to be. Yeah. He likes to be in this transitional moment. And I think this is important for people who are filmmakers or writers or script. Like, you can comment subtly about what is happening around in your world and still make it fit within your movie. And nothing that is in a movie is in a classic movie, in a good movie, is in for no reason. Right. There's no reason. Absolutely there, right? correct. There's no reason they're having this argument about the silk and the fair and who should be and kids and gambling and all. That's all meant to speak about what's currently happening in the government and also what was happening at that time. Because you're right, right. Eight years later, everything falls apart. But it doesn't fall apart overnight. It's a progression. Right. And 1860 is just about coming to the end of that progression. So, yeah, yeah it makes sense. It's fantastic yeah. script work. And he, and he walks into this town. And we get immediate sense the town is something weird's going on here, and he's maybe being watched. And then what is the first thing he sees? The dog with the hand. The dog with the cut-off hand in its mouth, which is perfect. It is one of the most iconic moments in film it of is. all time. And the score is perfect, too. There's just the, it's almost a happy score in that moment. Yeah. And, and uh, Kurosawa and uh, Mufuni's uh, smirk. You know, almost like just kind of like interesting. It's yeah. you know, that's what it seems like he's saying. Well, and what it's telling us too is we're not supposed to take this that seriously. Yes, you know what I mean. This isn't Absolutely. that dramatic. We don't feel that bad right. for this. We're just like, oh, what's he walking into? <laughs> and it's kind of fun. And this is really yeah. different from what the way films have been in the past. Right. One of the ways that this is really iconic is that we're going to have a really violent movie. It's very violent, particularly for the time. Yeah. And we're going to like it. Mm -hmm. We're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Peckinpah was influenced by this to a degree. Absolutely. He's got to be. Yeah, He's right. got to be. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things, by the way, uh, that Kurosawa loves using, particularly in this film, is really, really long telephoto lenses. Yes. Um, and that, I think they said that shot of the dog is like a 500 millimeter lens. Mm. And that is really, what you have to do is you have to make sure, the focus, uh, where you can focus is very small. And so every step that dog takes there's a first assistant camera person pulling focus so they're rotating a knob right from a long way away and dogs movements are unpredictable and what Kurosawa says over and over again is that the first assistant cameraman on this movie were geniuses artists mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that shit is hard <laughs> that is really follow focus on a dog with a 500 millimeter lens that is tough <laughs> so uh we meet the town official um, who yes. comes out and it just all the stuff is weird. Yeah. He kind of says, Hey, you know, kind of tries to make a little deal, make a little money off Mifuni. And uh, one Rio, one Rio finder's fee. Finder's fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he wants. Those Rio, man. We're going to, we're going to be, a lot of them are going to get thrown around. <laughs> hey, yes. Um, we, 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 here comes the, our first gang, um, yeah. including a giant with a hammer. It's so amazing. Yeah. To see that. Right? It's unsettling. He is a, that is a, I don't know. I look at him and I go, like, does he have like the Andre to the Giant uh, disease or something? Maybe for a Japanese person, cause, yeah. Because he's got those sort of swollen features, you know, that are so odd that yeah. seem like kind of overgrown. High cheekbones. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is sort of telling us we're not in a serious film. Yes. You know, this is not, this is sort of fantasy in mm -hmm. its way. Mm -hmm. And also because this guy is, and this, and what 
Kurosawa does interestingly in this film is uh, use these stock characters or these uh, ancillary characters as exposition. Absolutely, right? yeah. This this official explains to him that there's two gangs in the town and they've been fighting each other and like so he comes down he walks in front of this first guy and these scraggly guys come out and they make a comment about him being a dog and he he's free to walk amongst them walk the streets just like a dog. They're making fun of him, but Sanjuro's character is so strong and powerful knowledgeable he doesn't have to address them he doesn't have to like call, have any back and forth with them he just turns around see because he, he gets the idea of he he's a seasoned guy he's a veteran right. so he understands real danger and fake danger right and those guys are just putting on airs and so he walks away from them and the official's like wow you, you did it wrong you should be busting out your chest you should do all those kinds of things but it's like that's not Sanjuro's character no. that's not how you showed actual strength yeah that's how a fake person would show strength well, and we get that stuff right away. Yeah. Um, um, by the way, I think I got the years wrong. Oh, okay. Because uh, it's actually 1885 is when the uh, Edo period ends. Oh, okay. And I think this is this take place in 1880. Okay. You say, okay, so 1880. Yeah, I think I, think I said the years wrong. Okay. Anyway, no so worries. forgive me if I got the years quite right. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Um, uh, so he goes into this inn, yeah. and this becomes one of our key sets. And one of the brilliant things about this sets is every wall has panels yeah. that slides and opens, and there's light streaming through it at all time. And what it does is it creates these essentially frames picture frames to look through mm -hmm. and see the world and this is one of the things we should say is i think we mentioned it when we did the searchers yeah. is when someone asked kurosawa you know how did you come up with your beautiful what did you study did you study rembrandt you know do you study da vinci and he said no i just watched john ford movies yep and you could see the john you could see some of those framing shots from the searchers and you could see them yeah. right here yeah the love and by the way so he's it's 1945 the war has just ended yeah. he's shooting a movie and at the time the american occupation forces are uh, supervising all the industry in Japan yeah. and so a bunch of Navy admirals and people come by the movie set and they might be censors and they come by and one 
person kind of talks to him for a minute and they leave and uh, and only a month later does he find out that was John Ford wow. that he met one of his heroes <laughs> and didn't know that it was him oh. and only found out when he met Ford again yeah. later in the 50s and he said oh we've already met and what <laughs> yeah how fascinating yeah um, and so in this scene with this innkeeper, we get kind of the exposition of what's going on in the town, Yeah, which is there's two gangs and there's one guy who kind of was the second in command of the gang and he's right. left. And one gang is kind of associated with the sake yeah. merchant and with the brothel and the other gang is associated with the silk merchant. Right. And it is not good, as you said, to have two bosses in the town. Two bosses, two mayors. Yep. It's just it's a town fractured, completely fractured and split in half. It's essentially a civil war every day. Yeah. In that town. Yeah. yeah. And, and it doesn't seem like there's any world out there to help. This no. is just a messed up town. No. And Mufuni goes, Oh, let me think let me think and drink about this. Yeah. Why does he stay? I think because he's a wandering samurai. So for him, he's a Ronin. He's exploring the world. The fact and I think we get this because when he throws the stick up in the air, that lets you know the mentality that he's at in his life right now. He is just wandering from town to town, almost like Kung Fu. We would see later with David yeah. Carradine in Kung Fu. Almost and and it helps him to stay that hero aspect because he's choosing to stay when the innkeeper is like, You gotta go, you gotta get out of here. I'll give you free food. Just get the hell out of here. It's not a place for you to be in, blah blah blah. And he goes, oh, I think I'll stay. And I think there's a part of him that he understands that he can figure something out in this town. And then later, I think it progresses to the point where he, he can actually save the town. And that's, I don't think he essentially wants to save the town at first. I think it's more a matter of experience, experience, you know, sometimes mm. you're, in, you're, sometimes you're in, you're in a position in life where you're like, I just want to see what happens. And you're not necessarily thinking everything out. Well, he says at one point, these men deserve to die. Later on, yes. Later on. Yes, yes. But it's like, it's because he's a little bit unknowable, this Sanjuro mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. Like, what his what he really feels about stuff. Yes. I mean, he is clearly a hero. Yes. But whether or not, you know, what his self-interest is, what's he getting out of this, mm-hmm. is a little hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. It's not money. He doesn't actually care about the money, although he continually asks for money. Yes. You know, and it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a really odd you know, normally when we're developing characters, we go like, what is their motivation? And the right. audience needs to understand what their objective is because right. that's how movies work. And this is one where you kind of go, I don't know. Right. And I think because of the force of the actor that is to show yes. Mufuni, he is essentially an empty vessel that we ourselves can put our ideas or our heroic expectations or our thoughts into and then let it play out as the film goes on to see if we were right or wrong. And the townspeople do that, too. Because he right. presents a certain uh, aspect about himself. He does not explain his plans necessarily, even to the innkeeper, fully. He's got his own ideas of how he's going to play this thing out. And that's why he drinks the sake to kind of just figure out what his overall plan is going to be on this. But then, of course, X factors pop in and he has to roll with it, which is what him. makes the movie so interesting. Yeah. Well, and what we're going to see throughout is that other people kind of put their motivation on him. Yes. You know, like they go, they see him a certain way and then they react to him and deal with him mm-hmm. in the way that fits their expectations. Right. And but, he plays with them. And he plays with them. Yep. He, he knows that's what's going on. Yeah. So he goes off to pick a fight. Goes down to Ushitora, who's the the, the silk merchant yeah. one, and goes up to his guys and they posture in front of him and like, this is the line in there that's sort of like, I've got the death penalty in 16 quadrants yeah, or whatever. Right, that, right. It's yeah. just like, just like the, the, this is some pit of, of scum and villainy here. Right. And their outfits, their costumes are just ridiculous bad guy costumes. Which is, which is per, and their faces too are not standard typical Japanese faces. I think yeah. that's important to point out as well. He wanted to convey this kind of like, 
unsettling looking type yeah. of samurais. They're all dirty samurais. You know, there's no nobility here. These are scum. I yes. mean, they're bad guys. They're yeah. like, there's not, yeah, there's nothing subtle about yeah. these characters. Right. And which is good because he doesn't want us to feel bad when Mifune wipes him out, mm-hmm. which he's going to in just a moment. Right. He and, and, and the sword fight is really fast. Yes. I, I don't know if you did. I replayed it five times. Oh, not five times, but yeah. I've certainly watched it many times to see the movements. Yeah, you know, and 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 Mifune moves great. Yeah, he's uh, by the way the the kendo choreographers are guys from the yakuza on this movie. Oh, oh crap! Um, and uh, Mifune's movements are just mm-hmm. they're really good. Having having tried to use a Japanese sword for yeah. a long time, it's really hard. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> One of the things Kurosawa says in one of the documentaries is that Mufuni has to hold his breath every time he does the sword movements. Yeah. So they could only shoot in bursts. Right. Because he'd be out of breath by the time he was done with any kind of movement. Because holding a breath that long to yeah. kind of... So it's fast. That's how why he looks so fluid when he's doing it. Because it's just a focus on moving the sword. There's yeah. not a focus on breathing and moving and doing all this other extra stuff. And that allows for an interesting movement. Uh, we should go back real quick, though. Through the exposition in the end, before he goes mm. down and confronts these guys, we see the half-wit brother yes, of the other... Good point, yeah. Yes, Kino, which is a, what a great characterization by this actor. The teeth all fucked up. The weird face unibrow. All, yeah, the weird yeah. unibrow, his big fat face. Like, all of it just works so perfectly to show you someone that you cannot necessarily quantify because, like, he warns you he's dumb, but he's insane. And so, like, the, the, the menace of it is always there at any moment. So then he goes back and confronts the guys right. because he, he just wants to figure out how to do this, you know? And so yeah. I love it, the confrontation. And absolutely. Wipes him out. Yes. And, and, and we have a severed arm, which, again, is really big violence mm-hmm. for 1961. And he says, and he comes back and says, we got, need two coffins. <laughs> I'll make that three. Right. And, and what's great about the cutting off the arm is exactly what the official said to him. You, you should have cut off one of their arms. Then they'd really take you seriously. Right. And he does it. Yeah. He has a kind of like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and by the way, the coffin maker in Kurosawa says this is he got that from High Noon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I said he liked a little the sound of the hammering. Of course, and, brilliant. You know, Picasso's line of "Good artists borrow, great artists steal." That's definitely there's, there's a lot of truth in there. <laughs> it's true. Um, and so now he's uh, he's established who he is in yeah. this town, and he goes over to see the other boss, which is Sebe. Yeah, and says, "Hey, what, what do you offer me?" Right. You know. And they offer him 50 Ryu, which seems like a lot of money. Eventually. Eventually, Initially, yeah. they offer him three. Yeah. I need to have Mifune come negotiate for me sometime. Know, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Well, maybe you need to just kill a few people <laughs> before you <laughs> get your next job. <laughs> Perhaps you don't understand that I meant business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll cast you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yo, yes, anything you want. Stop um, killing our ADs. Oh, jeez. Um, and uh, yeah, he gets this offer, and yeah. he's going to be their bodyguard, which, by the way, Yojimbo means... Bodyguard. Bodyguard, yes. Yeah, that's what the meaning of the word is. Um, and he takes the offer. Yeah. And while he's sitting there, he manages to overhear the wife talking to Sebe. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not a very nice person. No. And uh, and she says, okay, that's too much money. I'll tell you what. Let's let him lead us to victory over the other boss. Right. And then after that, we'll kill him. Right. And this speaks to the dynamic of that family, right? You have... Initially, what you thought was like he was subservient, the boss, and he was like giving, offering him 50 Rio and giving him half up front. 
and but the 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 woman is the one who runs the the business, right? right. We see this a lot in Kurosawa's films that yeah. the women are actually running the situations. Very powerful. Yeah, very yeah. powerful. And um, people don't speak about that enough in the Kurosawa films. I feel people get lost in the Mufuni stuff and all that. But a lot of his female characters, he gives them a lot of strength to play, a lot of powerful characters to play. And when the actresses speak about him in the documentaries now or that you see, they speak with such reverence about him because those characters were probably not written that, right. that or fleshed out that well during those times. And in that moment, you also see the dynamic of the, the prostitutes. They're not going to tell on him because they know that he's one of them, in right. essence, right? He's, he's, he's been through this kind of battle in his own life. So him listening in, they're not going to betray him, even though he's a new person. They sense that there's something about him that they can trust. Well, in these two moments, I think you point out that th these are so important because, yeah. because if the wife doesn't say, let's kill him after, yeah. and Mufuni jumps ship and goes to the other side, then he's the bad guy. Right. But because you hear the wife do this, and because you see the prostitutes are not fans mm -hmm. of the wife, mm -hmm. then, then we go, oh, Mufuni's free. Yeah. Because they are evil. Right. And it's really important to establish that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we meet the other sensei. Yeah. Um, Mosa. Who, who, yes. uh, who's not getting paid nearly so well. Two. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know who that is? No. That is Sanshiro Sugata. That is the lead character of, Mufu of Kurosawa's first film. So that's what he's... So that's insane, Steve. Yeah. So he has three generations of that's his leads I, I in almost, one film. Yeah. I thought about saying it when you brought up the other wow. guy earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Shit! So that Sugata moment when he's climbing the fence, yes. it's him saying to Mufuni, good luck with good Kurosawa, luck. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Wow, dude! Isn't that cool? That's meta within meta, man! <laughs> I love that you told me that. All right, I, cool. And, and, I wonder, and what I wonder That's is, so awesome. is, was Kurosawa doing it on purpose? Yes, of course he was doing it on purpose. I guess, as you said earlier, everything's on purpose. Yes! Um, That's, but what, no, what honor for Kurosawa to know that, that he was doing that, and then the actor to be like, I will do that scene yeah. with you. That's so awesome. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Yeah. So he, so the the sensei just, as you said, climbs the fence and gives this little smile <laughs> and wave, which is so fancy. Like, You're on your own, buddy. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a great, great moment. <laughs> and now it's time to get ready for this battle. And all of Sebei's guys come out and they're ready to get help by Mafuni. Um, and he's kind of sitting up there, not coming down to help. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Two people have to come and try and get him. Yeah. And then he finally comes down, and. Throws the Rio on the ground and says, No, nah, you were going to betray me, so screw you. I'm out of yeah. here. Yep. And then he goes over and climbs up this watchtower yes. in the middle of the town. It's an amazing shot. Yeah, man. And then you see, and what's fun, and it's like, you get, there are a lot of different ways to handle battles, and there are a lot of different ways to handle bad guys. Yeah. And these guys are, it's funny to watch them. Yeah. They're scared. They're clearly not very good. There's a lot of posturing. Like, oh, I'm going to get you. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, and and Sanjuro's having a ball. He is. I used to play this game on the computer called Samurai Total War. I bought it mm. as CD-ROM mm -hmm. you could play. And it was fascinating. What's that? <laughs> yeah, CD-ROM. And what's interesting is that the same thing would happen from above. You would see your, you could move your forces and they would rush and attack. And the other forces would pull back. And then they would attack and then you would pull back. So you see what's happening in the film. It right. happens in the game. But also for me, and I don't want to get too much into this, but like, 
it felt like I was watching Republicans and Democrats <laughs> in Congress, and we're waiting for this one president to come in who's going to be able to negotiate the crap that's happening now. One side is posturing, the other side backs down, then the other side postures, and that posture backs down, or that side backs down. And it just felt like you're watching government in action. It just <laughs> felt like to so, so you feel like having some rogue come into Congress night now, <laughs> yes. pit one side against each other until yes. they foolishly wipe each other out. Yeah, absolutely. Might be a good thing. <laughs> it might not be a bad thing. It might not be a bad thing. <laughs> um, uh, and, and yet, this battle never actually happens. No. Because an inspector comes from Edo. Yeah. And uh, he and suddenly everyone has to pretend that everything's cool here. Yeah. They make all the shopkeepers open their windows. They yeah. make all the fugitives hide, all that kind of yep. crap. Yeah. Yep. And Mifuni again sits in this inn and opening his slides, he's mm-hmm. able to observe every single thing that goes on right. and watch everybody kiss kiss the ass of the Yedo inspector right um and again which we see you know as you said the this period is ending but it's still powerful and before any questions the the how this nobody of an inspector has such a uh palan- palanquin i think is what he said it's yeah. just expensive looking palanquin and it's because he's been getting he's, he's taking corrupt. money from everybody yeah he's corrupt well and this is, it also shows this is why this is the end of this era yes because in the early period of the tokugawa shogunate you did not break those rules. No, no. It was a very, very strong central government. Yeah. By this point, we're going to take a little bit of money. <laughs> That's right. And then we, I think this is the first time we see Takashi Shimura, who is the Saki merchant. Yes. And this is weird for me. In the film. For some, it, we see him in the film. Yeah. yeah. Takashi Shimura is another one of yeah. Kurosawa's guys. Mm-hmm. And he is the lead in Seven Samurai. Yeah, he He's is. the general. Mm-hmm. And he is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's weird to me about this is there are a lot of actors who were leads in films in yeah. Hollywood, yeah. and then they're not getting the parts anymore. Mm-hmm. But you never see them show up as a bit player in a movie. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes. You see cameos sometimes. But you don't see it like this. Not like this. No. He's not doing a cameo. No, no, he's not. He's doing a bit part. Yes. And that's weird to me. But this also speaks to the British-Japanese connection, too, because in British films, you'll see that. Mm. Sometimes the, an actor who has worked with a director for a long time will come and play a particular part for a small, a, a small scene, two or three scenes, to help the film give it a little bit of power. Like John Gilgo showing up at Gandhi. What's that all about? It's only a small part, but he's in there for uh, two or three scenes. But that happens, you know, because there's not that sense of status necessarily. It's more about the work and the service yeah. of, of great work. You yeah, know? but Gilgood comes in as Gilgood. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. whereas this guy just comes in as a bit part. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. That's just how it feels to me. Okay. It doesn't feel like he's given a lot of weight. You okay. Know? It's, it, I don't know. It just seems weird. It seems like, oh, oh. Because he's playing, playing isn't he playing the mayor or who's he playing? Yeah, who's he playing? He's, the, yeah. he's the mayor who's the yeah. silk merchant. Yeah. Guy who's, but you, but you're like I said, he likes to work with the same guys over and over absolutely, again. So stock, absolutely. yeah, yeah, he loves these guys, and they yeah. all they all come back. And as we saw with the Sanshiro Sugata guy, and we got you know, yeah, we have these guys coming back. The only guy who didn't was Mafuni, which is always yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, really, both sides want to bribe Mafuni. Yeah, now. of course, they both want him on the team because now he's gotten this reputation as like this is the guy. Yeah, and we have, and now we get to have one of the great elements in Kurosawa films, which is rain. Oh, yeah. Rainy day. Man, Kurosawa shoots rain better than anybody else I can think of. I would agree with you a thousand percent. From Rashomon and Seven Samurai and Mm -hmm. in this, it's just like thick, heavy, pouring down. must have been just horrible to shoot in Mm -hmm. rain. And we're all waiting for the inspector to go. And uh, the the giant and uh, Ushitora shows up. Mm -hmm. And we see the arrival of our guy with a gun, Uno. Yeah. Which is Tatsuya Nakadai. Yeah. His presence in the film is really powerful. Yeah, man. He's such a fantastic actor and complete, a diff, completely different energy than Mufuni. 
there's a menace to Nakadai that is in, intrinsic in his personality as an actor's presence rather as an actor. You see it in Sword of Doom. Mm-hmm. You see it in Ron. You see yeah. it in a number of films that Nakadai does for uh, Kurosawa and other directors. And so it's such a and he's younger. Yeah. And it's so ironic because this is only what three years, few years after uh, Seven Samurai. Isn't it like how many years after Seven? Is it ten years after Seven? seven? Years. I think. Seven. I think Samurai. Seven Samurai. My memory is like fifty four. Okay. Okay. So it's maybe only 55. seven years after this, which which essentially yeah. Nakadai was essentially Mifune and Seven Samurai, yeah. the young upstart going nuts. In except in this, Nakadai is more, you know, calmer, but he needs the gun. Right. Right. That's his menace. It's a devilish type of character. Well, and let's. I want to talk just a little bit yeah. about guns and swords. Yeah. Because this is really important in this era, which is that is that in 1600 when the uh, Tokugawa shogunate started, yeah. there was um, European influences. And they didn't like that. Yeah. So they limited all European con- uh, connection, all trade to just Nagasaki and only with the Dutch. And only certain amounts of goods would come in. Right. And what that, what the Yedo people, what the Tokugawa shogunate decided was Japan will be alone. Yes. We don't want influence from the rest of the world. So while all the rest of the world trade is booming and it, different cultures are meeting, Japan stayed the same. Mm-hmm. And that is unlike anything that's ever happened anywhere else in history. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the really rarefied and specific uh, traditions within Japanese culture come from this era of, because Japan is Japan, you know, it really isn't like anything else. And one of the things they didn't let in were guns. So the guns that were owned for the next 150 years were 150-year-old guns. They didn't let any new guns in because because they were really scared of guns. They wanted to keep warfare the way warfare had always been, swords and bows and arrows and uh, and horses, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want cannon and they didn't want guns. And so the fact that he has a revolver means that this is after 1855, I think it's 55, is when Admiral Perry comes and yeah. opens up, forces Japan to open up because that now we have the big, huge warships and suddenly this really powerful military force of the Tokugawa shogunate goes, oh, we can't do anything. Right. And suddenly guns, you know, more modern guns, revolvers and repeaters start coming in mm-hmm. and that's what this guy has. And so again, symbolically, this is the future facing the past. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, if you're the only guy with a gun... <laughs> You're not unlike a god in yeah. a way, and yeah. he sure is happy about that gun. Yeah. He it is fetishized in a way in this film. That's agreed. Yeah. yeah. So then we find out this inspector from Yedo gets killed in the next village. Yes. Yeah, and there are these, or is going to be killed in the next village. Right. Right. Uh, and we meet these two drunks that apparently did the job. Yep. And uh, Sanjuro finds out about it, mm-hmm. and he starts to develop the next step in his plan. Well, this is another good point you make, Steve. Well, this is another good thing you bring up because one of those drunks is playing one of the co-leads in The Bad Sleep Well. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, I he's didn't know that. One of the, yeah, he's one of the oh, co-leads in that film. Yeah. So it's, you're right. It's these characters. These, all these actors just want to be in service of Kurosawa's work. Yeah. And so you think Sanjuro is going to go off and kill these guys. Yes. But he does not. It seems like he does initially. You think he does. Right. He hits one guy in the chest with the scabbard, uh, with the sheath sword. Right. And then he cuts, and it looks like he's just wiped this guy out, but mm-hmm. instead he just cuts his clothes off. Right. Which, that would be really impressive. That would be an impressive swords move. <laughs> but this is all happening because, you know, the, the war is going to... The inspector's leaving that night. Then, after the whole situation happens, they have a conversation and the, uh, the 
coffin maker, the what do you call it? What do you call the coffin maker? You just want to call I'll him call that? him the coffin, coffin maker. maker. Comes back in and he's all depressed and he's like, "Why are you depressed?" And he's like, "Because they're talking about peace." And that's when Sanjuro says, "Well, this is even more dangerous because right. the innkeeper's all happy and stuff, but this is more dangerous." So Sanjuro kind of sets up this situation to reignite the problems between the two towns. Right. So it gets these guys that you're right. talking about. And Ushiro about. Toro, yeah. who's one of the bosses, yeah. uh, arranges for these two guys to kill the inspector. Right. And Sanjuro doesn't kill them, and instead he brings them to the other boss, Sebei, yeah, Sebei. and says, these guys killed the inspector on Ushiro Toro's uh, orders. Right. Starting some shit. Yeah, that's man. right. He just wants to make this confrontation happen. Now, here's my question to you, Steve. Do you think he's right to do this? Because this is now him actively participating in creating uh, the fight between them that was about to go to peace. Because we only have his word to believe when he says all peace is almost worse because they'll have an even worse fight. Like, do, do you think he's – now he's an active participant. Do you think there's some kind of blame here for I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and oh. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I really don't know. Because, and part of what's weird about this movie – Yeah. And this is not a criticism of the movie, but what's weird is we see – we don't see a lot of town. No. What we see are the two gangs. Yes. And we see some prostitutes, and we see an innkeeper and a coffin maker. Yeah. That's it. Right. You know, and a farmer who lives on the outskirts, and we meet another farmer, right. you, you know, another couple people. A couple uh, mayors, the town, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. we don't see, like, the town. Yeah. So what essentially is going to happen in this film, and spoiler alert, is the whole town's going to get wiped out. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like basically, there's not going to be a lot of people left. Yeah. And so the, the statement of peace is going to be worse, it's like, well, how? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh uh, and it's not I think the movie wants you to just feel really good that he's wiping these people out yeah I guess so I think that's what the movie wants us to feel mm-hmm. uh, and and I think I mean obviously the movie's successful but yeah I don't know but I think Kurosawa comments on it by having and we'll find when we get to this the the moment I, I feel I'll, I'll comment on it again so yeah so the, the, okay so he hands the trunks over to Sebei mm-hmm. But then he goes back to Ushitora and tells him that, oh, Sebe got your assassins. Yeah. They got outed by somebody, and now he's got him. And Ushi- you know, and this is like, oh, shit, what are we yeah. going to do? So Ushitora offers him yeah. to be the bodyguard again, offers him money, all yep. this kind of jazz. And he says, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Yeah. He takes a lot of money. He goes, I'll think about <laughs> it. Think about it. It's what's really what, by the one of the conceits that the movie works on is yeah. that nobody figures this guy out. You know, Until it's a, much later, but then it's too late by the time. Yeah, it's do. like it's yeah. like. Really, you're going to just keep offering this guy money when he's really not doing anything for you, right? You know, I mean, I know he's good with a sword, but right. like they're all so aggressively trying to get Sanjuro to help them, yeah, because they're going to tip the scales, right? Um, and so now, and so what they grab is we is 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 Yushitora grabs someone who we didn't mention earlier, which is the son of Sebe, yes, is that there's a son who seems like kind of a whiner, yeah, not like a very cool guy, and he says, Okay, well, we have your son, you have these two assassins. Let's make a trade. Right. And this is a beautifully, it's going to be two in the morning. Yeah. And we ring the little, it's not ringing the bell, but we bang the, the mm-hmm. sticks. And out come our two gangs with our hostages. Mm-hmm. And it is beautifully structured, formalistic symmetrical shots yes i mean and this is again where you see Corsau has one of the great eyes in the world mm-hmm. you know just every single thing in that frame looks perfect yeah yeah and one of the things by the way he liked to shoot with multiple cameras at the same time 
two or three. Wow. Um, he's shooting with these long lenses. There's incredible attention to detail. He has mm-hmm. wind blasting. And Kurosawa, it sounds like he had a temper. Yeah. You know, he wanted to get what he wanted to get. He also really supported the people that he worked for, mm-hmm. but if you messed up, you were gonna you were gonna hear from yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and uh, the trade doesn't go well. No. Uh, because uh, Uno comes out and shoots the assassins. Which makes sense because you yep. don't want to leave any uh, loose ends. Yeah, because yes. that's their point. Is right. That we, we just don't, we don't care. We don't want them. Right. We just don't want them to mess us up. So they threaten to keep, uh, I think the guy's name is Yukiochi. They threaten to keep him, the son of Sabai. They threaten to keep him. And then... And out comes the girl. Yes. Yeah, and so now we see this new person yeah. that we're holding hostages, which we sort of find out is the girlfriend, I think, of Takashi Shimura. Yes. Yeah, that he's into her. And so now we have a secondary hostage exchange, right. and we're going to do that tomorrow. But it's interesting because Uno, as you say, Uno, Uno's reaction to it is almost like he has a... Yeah, that's what I thought too. too, Right? Initially, you think there's a connection between them. Yeah, I find this moment in the film a little confusing. Yeah, and like having watched it now a couple of times Mm -hmm. and and watched documentary about it and stuff, like it's it doesn't seem like Uno has a relationship with her, but that does seem like his reaction. His reaction seems that way to me. So my thought, my thought was when I saw this and and for this podcast again, like my thought is that maybe he has harbored feelings for her. So when the, he feels more... Because he's yeah, come maybe. back. He's been on a yeah. trip, right? So in this woman, we find out later, this woman was was married to another guy who like gave her up for... Because he got tricked in this gambling situation and gave her... But like, there, he she's with this mayor, but Takashi Shimura's character. But maybe Nakadai's character has been angling to be with this woman too maybe. and has been yeah. away for a while now that he's back. He's going to put his plan yeah. in motion. Yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah. Definitely his reaction seems like something's going right? on. Something a little yeah. more... Yeah. And now we're going to have another hostage yes. exchange this time it's in daylight um and now we introduce this little boy yeah because mifuni's oh. sitting in the inn and here's this little boy looking out at the woman and mm-hmm. goes mommy mm-hmm. and we also see this dad who's sitting sort of silently in the yeah. inn. uh and this is the first moment i think where there's any actual emotion yes like realistic emotion in the Agreed. film Agreed. we've had a lot of fun sure. up to this point but this is like oh fuck this sucks yeah um and we see them slowly going towards each other and he screams, Mommy, and that's rough. Mm-hmm. And she hears him and runs to the kind of slats on the mm-hmm. end wall. And this is kind of a hard scene. Yeah, and the husband too, like the sadness mm-hmm. and the desperation of the husband as well. And Kurosawa does these in his films as well. It's really powerful when he has these moments in his films because he picks the right actors that really convey yeah. that kind of loss, that depth of loss in yeah. the situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with very little because yeah. we, don't, we don't get a lot of dialogue from these people, yep. but we get what's going on here. They drag mom away from her son. Yeah. They make the exchange. The uh, son of Sebe comes back, yeah. runs up to mom, mommy. <laughs> Same thing our little kid is yelling. Yes. He yells mommy too. His mommy does not react as nicely. No. no. Slaps him right in the face. <laughs> He's a rich kid's son. It's the son of a rich people. It's the rich, sometimes a rich kid. Uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, and his mom's not a nice person. No, true. She That's is, true. She, I don't think she's been a very. Uh, Loving mother. Loving mother (laughs) to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we almost, again, we almost think we're going to have this showdown, but again, we don't. No. Yeah. 
And but now we go back to the end and we kind of hear what the story is of this young, beautiful woman mm -hmm. is that this guy, this is not a good guy. I'm not no. a fan of this young man who just wanted to make some money, put his house on the line. And put his the, wife. And yeah. then he finally put his wife on the line gambling yeah. and gambled his way away his wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Kurosawa gives Mufuni those lines of, I hate those kinds of men. I hate those kinds of men and blah, blah, blah. And I do love the fact that when Mufuni comes down off the tower before he walks in to have that conversation that he says to uh, Uno's character, that was amusing. You were right. That was amusing. Cause oh, they, I forgot Because they turned it around. Yeah, they turned it around, yeah. which is a great moment. But they, when he walks in there and hears the story, it's their first glimpse, too, into this kind of like letting down the walls a little bit from Senjuro's character because yeah. he lets his anger get the best of him in that moment. And I hate guys like that. I don't like people like that, blah, blah, blah. But I think the combination well, is... Except... Yeah. except what he's going to end up doing. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's, it's, the co it's the combination of this whole idea of like this person and this woman and the, their child have messed up his plans. But it also exposes that he is a samurai and there isn't he has to do things that are noble. And so it like it pulls him out of this game that he's playing and it pulls it reminds him of his duty. So there's, oh, I think there's a lot yeah, going on here sure. for him as a as a as a character that is you know m just working on multiple fronts. Well, and this is, but it's also where I kind of go like, was him saying I hate these people and that expression of anger, was that an act too? No, I. Yes, I think that's an act in terms of that he's saying that out loud, but he does not believe it at all. Yeah, I see, and I I kind of my feeling of it, and we can't know. Sure, sure, there's, we don't know the answer, but my feeling of it is he is feeling that. But he is using those feelings as an act. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes, like like it is it is a truth that he wouldn't because he doesn't lose control of his emotions. So like he yeah. is intentionally expressing a thing that he's feeling to make people think a certain thing about him, which isn't actually the whole truth. Right. You know. But but, but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. it also could be something that he himself has done. Right. I was because thinking he might the same hate thing. himself for having done this in the past. Because again, why is the who is this guy and yeah. why is he here? Exactly. And the answer is. We, we don't, don't know. know. Exactly. Yeah, we don't know. Um, and so now, but at this moment, it seems that we've gone through a change because now mm -hmm. Sanjuro is going to get more involved. Yes. Like he's really been hanging back and trying to manipulate and manipulating mostly from the outside. Yeah. And now he's going to go try to manipulate on the inside. He goes back to Ushitor and he actually takes the job as bodyguard. Yes. Yeah. And he, he's worried they're guarding this woman somewhere and they have six guys on her. Yeah. And he goes, this isn't enough. And he goes to Eno, who's the sort of half-wit brother, and kind of butters him up. I love it. And says, so we much. need you. We need your strength. Let's go over and check this out. <laughs> it's my favorite. Eno's my favorite in this movie. I just love him to pieces. He and the guy with the hammer. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, they're the just the hammer, so yeah. iconic-looking yeah. people. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. So they go off, and he, and he sends off Eno to, to, on a job. And while Eno goes away... Yeah. He wipes out those six. Well, guys. he tells him that those six people have been wiped out because he because he, he reminds right. Eno yeah, that Eno has to beat up the husband. Right. So while Eno's running to beat up the husband of this of this woman who is supposed to be Takashi Shimura, uh, he runs back over and tells him, "All six guys are dead. The woman is gone. Go right. get go get blah blah blah." So he runs off because he knows he's stupid. He can manipulate, manipulate him. him. Yeah. He runs off, and while he runs off, then he goes and kills him, which is a fantastic. This one's great. Battles. It's really great. Well, yeah. first of all, the confidence of knowing I'm not going to have any problem wiping out these six guys because yeah. that's what the plan is based on. Right. You know, he doesn't wipe out the six guys first. No. He goes and like, <laughs> go do this, and that's going to be just enough for time for me to wipe out. Now I have to, 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 to explain a silly martial arts thing. Oh, okay. Cause, and this is because I watch this fight scene a lot, and yeah. it's really, really fast. It's fun. But it's worth watching is that 
So, it, and it's this idea of negative space, and this is what mm -hmm. I'll explain. So this started with, I'm playing video games in the 80s on some Nintendo game. It sure. was like a space flying game. And you know those games where it's all kind of flat, and you got a whole bunch of aliens, you got to sort of fly between your spaceship, right. you know? And uh, we got to like the final boss level, and there's like 50 bad guys you're flying through, and we just couldn't beat it. And then we finally went, is like, you know, because it's just really flat and basic yeah. colors, is that instead of watching all the bad guys, if we watch the space between them, and fly through that, we could do it. Right. So if you're trying to escape the bad guy, you couldn't do it. But if you just watch the space between the bad guys, you could. And this is how this applies to martial arts. Huh. Is that is that what you think of if someone's swinging a sword at you is that's the danger and all your focus goes to the weapon. Right. And I want to stop that weapon. You're afraid of it. And what you need to do, and you can see uh, Mifuni do it in this fight scene beautifully, which is that what's happened when someone lifts the sword to cut down on you, yeah. what they are in fact doing is opening the door. Yes. And that here is a door you must now step through. Right. If you focus on the sword, you can't focus on the opening. So you want to focus on the negative space. And if you watch, he is always moving, cutting through that opening. He's mm -hmm. cutting through the open door. Mm -hmm. And it's every cut is just beautiful. And something, if you don't know, a samurai sword, a katana is razor sharp mm -hmm. and it's not a hacking weapon so like a, a medieval knight in shiny armor sword they hack like an axe the samurai sword is a slicing weapon you want to cut with it like you do with a knife which is sliding back and forth mm -hmm. and again you can see this with mifuni he slices through yeah doesn't hack it is beautifully beautiful swordsmanship and it lasts uh about six seconds yeah, yeah. You know, it is really fast <laughs> Uh, and then he's got to set the stage. Right. Uh, and this to me is like, this is like Orson Welles in uh, oh, Citizen yes. Kane destroying Absolute. the bedroom. Absolutely. It is just great watching yeah. him watch It's this funny show. you say that. It's the exact thing I thought yeah. when I was watching it again yeah. this time. But he, but he is, before he te tears that place apart, he runs out, he tells oh, the right, husband right. and the wife and the child, get out of here, here's 30 Rio, go get as far away from here as possible. Then we see him tear the whole place apart. You're right. Let's talk. We got to talk about that first. Okay, sure, I'm so sure, glad sure. you brought because this is what we were talking about before. Yeah. We left him saying, "I hate this guy, yeah. this husband." Right. We see him go take the money, and now he's giving the money to the guy. He said, "I hate you," and go away. And this is like, oh, is he just a, a hero? And maybe he is. Yeah, yeah. I think he is. I, I mean, mean, this is a really heroic moment. Yeah, it yeah. is, and that's why they stay uh, bowing to him when he walks out. And he's almost embarrassed by it, right? He's almost ashamed yeah. by it because he knows he's done a lot of terrible things. So to have these people kind of remind him that he is a samurai capable of nobility is almost embarrassing to him, right? Right. And so that's why he gets them to finally leave. Well, because what happens? He sets the scene, right. and then he comes back out, and yeah. they have returned, and they're <laughs> bowing to him, yeah. and he's like, "Idiots! Like, yeah. what's?" wrong with you right because not only are you it's nice that you're sending me this respect yeah but you are going to get me killed and in you their know? in in their delay is a great plot point because it does come back later yeah. that because they delayed so long someone saw them crossing the bridge and that's how uno figures out that uh uh senjuro had something to do with it so yeah, yeah absolutely so anyway and and, and now ushitora's guys show up they yep. see this destruction and obviously sebe is responsible right because it would never occur to them that that Sanjuro would do it yeah and now we get these sort of retaliatory strikes back and forth we we burn the silk yeah we we you know the sake is destroyed and the town starts filling with corpses so many that the coffin guy is now upset again because <laughs> now nobody's even buying a coffin yeah. there are too many corpses for the coffins yeah yeah 
Um, and, and it seems like, man, he's, he's done it. He yeah. is getting them to just wipe each other out. And we see this in Westerns, the coffin maker, right? He becomes right. a character yeah. in, in the number of Westerns. It's interesting, yeah. Well, and this is one of the interesting things about this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is like at the focal point of it. Kurosawa is influenced by John Ford. Yeah. Watch and loves those John Ford Westerns. Yep. Yojimbo, in turn, influences the next generation of Westerns, right. which is The Man With No Name and Sergio Leone. And that's fascinating yeah. that you have American Westerns input leads to this Japanese film really affected by Westerns, which goes back to the Italian Westerns and the evolution of the Western after that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, which seems like things are going pretty well. And uh, we go back to uh, the inn. Mm-hmm. Sanjuro's having a few drinks. Yeah. And the innkeeper brings in this letter. It's like a thank you note. Seems very nice. And they just leave that fucking thing on the table. And then they do. They do. <laughs> but it's also there. And he's so happy for him because he sees you were a hero. You are yeah, a hero. Yeah, you you're are not a, a good bad person. guy. You're a good person. And he's like, shut up. Leave me alone. Let shut me up. Drink. Let me drink. Yeah, let me drink. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's old um, so he's kind of getting drunk. Doesn't yeah. want to read that note. No. In comes uh, Eno. Eno, right. Yeah. And they, they, um, this is funny autocorrect in my line. My autocorrect says, they confront iTunes U re family. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what that was. Um, they, they, uh, in comes, you know, they confront, uh, Mifuni about this family. Yeah. Because they're starting to, this is where they're kind of starting to suspect. Yeah. And Sanjuro starts to notice that that letter is sitting right at that table. The innkeeper notices the letters on the table. Yeah. Sanjuro does a pretty good job covering up the letter. Right. The innkeeper does a terrible job. Because the innkeeper is not used to doing these kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. And it gets caught. We see the letter. Cut to Mifuni on the ground. Yeah. All beat up. Right. He's going to get the shit kicked out of him. Well, and I think this is great, Steve, because once again, this speaks to his active participation. This is what I wanted to bring up. His active participation in restarting this war yeah because he actively participated he cannot escape without scars or some kind of payment and i think him getting beat up and to this level that he gets beat up by the giant guy is his payment for restarting the battle yeah that's in my opinion this narratively like karmic you're saying karmically karmically yeah 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 like i don't think anybody who starts a battle can't walk away without scars so you have to have Mm. some scars and i think to keep him a hero he has to go through this piece of narrative where he's getting beat up by the giant yeah so so like i agree karmically and then yeah. also narratively yeah like this is the low point yeah. like we have to have because yes he's been you know unscathed he's been riding you high yeah, yeah we need to get like oh shit this is really really bad yeah and he's genuinely helpless you know <laughs> i mean it's interesting to me that they don't tie him up you know they keep saying oh we don't need to tie him up he's right. so beat up i'm like look that guy wiped out six people with a sword <laughs> i'd tie him up like, come on, yeah. let's be let's be real careful yeah. with this particular person. Exactly. And then we see like the power of the giant. Yeah. Um. And because actually, Shirmafuni's not a big guy. No. Um. I mean, he, they film him big. Right. But this giant is a big guy. Yeah. And he throws him around and bangs him into stuff and knocks him up. And each time we come back, Mufuni is more bruised, more injured, and weaker. <laughs> I love his brothers like, hey, when he hits him, on the, he said, your tap from you is like a beating from a regular man. Stop yeah. doing that. Yeah. It's such a great exchange between them. And, and uh, he keeps trying to move and just can, he barely can move. Yeah. Barely can't get up on his feet. He's dragging mm-hmm. himself with his arms. And there's this moment, it's 
fairly long shot where he's looking at something and there's a light on his face and the light gets brighter yeah. and brighter and brighter and we realize he's seen this uh, open lock yeah. on this cabinet on this chest and he crawls into it and pulls himself inside now this is not much of a plan no but I think it's I think it's symbolic too because it's like a light bulb going off in his head because the light's going brighter and brighter so he's, he's coming back to yeah yeah kind yeah. of consciousness so to yeah. speak yeah and they come in they go oh my god he's gone these are not the smartest of well, white guys listen, they're henchmen <laughs> <laughs> and they go off and search and that gives them enough time to get out of the trunk right. crawl over and get kind of climb underneath the floorboards underneath the house yeah. and by the way his face at this moment it looks almost kabuki-like well this is the thing that's and they make a reference to it later when they get to the cemetery he is a ghost horror like, like a horse yeah. yeah he yeah. looks like a horror type. what you would see in Quaidon and these other oh yeah 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 ghost story sure. type uh, horror movies from Japan at that time very much looks like one of those even that guy who does the stuff in um, Throne of Blood who's spinning the wheel and singing the mm. singing what's going to happen to them like Macbeth like it's it's very much that kind of uh, uh, look yeah well, the hair and, all disheveled and everything. well and this is like the interesting thing about Kurosawa is that he embraces a lot of Western mm-hmm. techniques and mm-hmm. Western he's totally open to that but he's still very very steeped in traditional Japanese artistry yep. and kabuki and no drama and you know Japanese painting and calligraphy and all that stuff and you see that evident in his mm-hmm. films as well yeah. uh, and that combination that combination to me is what Kurosawa is exactly you know and it's what, I mean? what makes him stand out from all Japanese directors that have come before or after right and all American or European directors yeah, exactly. there's nobody quite has that thing mm-hmm. like he does um, and he crawls his way across the town square um, that by the way shot day for night Oh, um, okay. And what's interesting about it, it's actually a deep focus shot with a telephoto lens, which is almost impossible wow. uh, because telephoto narrows focus down. Right. And so the only way, and the only way to get deeper focus is to stop the aperture way down. So you need a ton of light, which is why it's shot day for night. Huh. Is that they, so they have all the light in the world they can get on this thing, and then they stop the aperture you know, really, really small, and then that makes it day for night, and they get this sort of deep focus telephoto shot, which wow. is pretty amazing. Fascinating. Um, and he makes it to the end just barely yeah and the innkeeper hides him yeah and says oh he's gone off to save it. and he and and mifuni says go next door and buy a coffin and he gets, the innkeeper's like oh my god you're gonna die he's yeah. like i'm not dead yet and then, he says there are more people that are gonna die oh is that yeah he, he says there are more people that are gonna die before i go yeah and i was like oh that's awesome yeah that is a heroic that's a heroic turn yeah. moment and then we get this kind of comedic scene yeah. where they pick up the coffin and they 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 drag him out and then we're, we're, we have Ushitora attacking Sebe. Yeah, we see and, all that. And, and Mufuni goes, oh, I got to see this. Yeah. And so they open up the coffin just a little bit, and we see what is Ushitora's technique for attacking them. They're going to burn down the house. They're going to yeah. burn and smoke them out, yeah. which is pretty brutal. Yeah, and set everything on fire. They're killing all everyone. men. Yeah, everyone. and then yeah. Sebe, run, is, is the, the, the mother runs out. They kill her, which is yeah. really powerful. Even though she's a bad person, yeah. it's still unsettling to watch a woman killed like that on screen. And then they shoot his dad, the kid's dad. Then they shoot the kid. And so yeah. Sebe, after giving power completely back to this guy, dies anyway. Yep. They yeah. just wipe him out. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it. It's kind of unsettling. How do you feel about it? It, it bothers me because it's... Even though they've done bad stuff, I haven't seen Sebe do anything necessarily bad. We just hear that they've done bad stuff. But, like, her, okay, but I don't even think she deserves that kind of death. So it's an uncomfortable situation. I think it's the way, yeah, I think it's the way they killed. Yeah. They're, 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 they're slaughtered. Yeah, they're slaughtered. And it's not fun to watch. Well, mm-hmm. and this goes to the, you know, this goes to, like, what we are comfortable with in a movie. And yeah. there's certain ways... 
Like, when, we don't, those six guys that got killed guarding those people, yeah. we don't care about them at all. No, we don't. But the, it's, it's, it's really how the movie does it and right. how it presents what you're seeing that changes the way we feel. And it's yeah. a weird thing is that, you know, there's the great, not great, there is the powerful quote from Stalin, which is, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is, is a statistic. Yes. And first of all, that is completely true, mm-hmm. you know, is that when we hear huge numbers of deaths in Syria or, you know, wherever, yeah. we don't really react very strongly. But if you hear a story about a kid dying, you know, near your house, right. it is, it'll mess you up for a long time. Well, yeah. And, and in, in film, we do this all the time because there are movies like... Uh, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy, the first mm, one, uh, mm. with my son recently. I was like, man, a lot of people get killed in this movie. I mean, there's probably a thousand people that get killed yeah. easily in that movie. Yeah. But you don't feel it because of the way that it's presented. Right. And so the way those six people die versus the way that these people die coming out of the smoke-burning building just feels different. Right. Plus, we've had time to connect with those characters. Yeah. So their yeah. death resonates. Yeah. And you're right. And Eddie Izzard made a great joke about it when he's like, sometimes when we, we hear... The amount of like Stalin killed ten million of his own people, and we're almost like, uh, well done, well done, good on you, you know. Right. But when we hear about the Holocaust, it's something more visceral because only three thousand or six thousand per play. But it's also their stories there are, are personal. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, and we also it also there's like weird cultural and historical things where. There are, you know, if you look at all the big generals in history, yeah, all of them killed a whole bunch of people, yes, and all, all and a lot of them did it to conquer, yep. Whether it's Julius Caesar or Napoleon Alexander. or Hitler yeah. or Alexander, and yet some of them, like Alexander, right. we kind of romanticize as a positive figure, true. And some of them, like Hitler, obviously, we we go like, well, this is a negative figure. Right. Napoleon tends to be negative, but right. Not as negative, and yet they all killed tons and mm-hmm. tons of people, mm-hmm. and so a lot of it is, well, how do we frame what's happening, yeah, and. That shows a lot of stuff about us, about humans, True. and why we are not trustworthy. Yeah, you know our opinions about things—they're—they they're, <laughs> can be pretty messed up. They're skewed. Yeah, they're skewed. <laughs> anyway, so but we digress. <laughs> um, so they kill off everybody. Yep, Sebe's people are wiped out. Yeah, and Mufuni's like, "All right, get me out of here." It's only one problem. Coffin maker ran off. He he left, man. Yeah. Those coffin makers, you can't trust you them. You cannot trust coffin makers. <laughs> Who you could only carry this, but we need two people to carry him. Yeah. Here comes Eno. Yeah, I love Eno. He's so that's like I said, he's just so much fun. And he uses the exact same tactics that uh Sanjuro used, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He's questioning his yeah. his manhood or his strength. Oh, and, you're probably scared of those ghosts down yeah. in the cemetery. Good job on the innkeeper. That's a nice Jedi mind trick for the innkeeper. That's right, yeah. And Eno goes, Oh, I'm not scared. Right. And of course as soon as we get towards the cemetery, we see he is a little bit uh, he is, he's yeah. a little bit scared. Just the way he's yelling, uh oh, 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 yeah. oh you're trying to scare anything around him and then He runs off. He he runs off because he essentially wants to help him bury Mufuni, but then the innkeeper one more time tricks him and says, Oh, weren't you looking for somebody weren't you supposed to be looking for yeah. somebody oh that's right he runs off yeah. runs off Mufuni stands up yeah looking literally like death yeah. at this point and then he falls down right yeah and looks then, like a ghost himself he looks like a ghost he steps yeah. out of yeah. it yeah absolutely and falls down and then we cut to some time has passed yeah and he's throwing a knife at a leaf mm-hmm. and we're seeing sort of he's getting he's gathered his strength back and by the way, throwing the knife at the leaf, that's shot in, in reverse. That's, oh. how, that's how you do that trick. Okay. Is that you get, a, you get a knife on a string, and you put it, and you blow some wind, and you put it stuck into the ground on the leaf, and then you just pull it out, and the leaf will blow because of the wind, and you reverse the film, and it looks like you threw a knife at the leaf. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I, lo- I love practical effects. <laughs> I love how they figured out how to do stuff. So we see he's a little bit better. He can throw this knife, and who shows up? But the coffin maker. The coffin maker shows up, right, to tell him that the uh, innkeeper's been taken hostage because they caught him the walking with oil and whatever it is that he was carrying, the tra- and they knew he was going there to help uh, uh, Sanjuro. So the innkeeper tells him, he's got a knife, and he says, well, is that enough? And he says, well, I've got a sword. The, inn- yeah. the, the coffin maker tells him, I have a sword, because being, you know, taking care of dead people sure. has its advantages. So he has a sword walk. So they know he's coming, right? Because right? they hang the, the, uh, the uh, innkeeper in the middle of the town. Terribly, by the way. Yeah, it's really scary. Yeah. Well, one thing, too, is that, you know, the, the, traditionally, the sword is the soul of the samurai. Yes. And so reuniting Mifune Sanjuro with a sword is really symbolic. Yeah. And this is this is the hero moment. Going back, you know. Like you said, going back. Going back. You have to go back. Well, it's also, you know, it's like we talked about it in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. When Bruce Willis goes back. He doesn't have to go back, but he goes back. But he goes back. With a samurai sword. Yeah. Yep. So so now we have, and I think that is from your gym. Absolutely. Like, so Mifune goes back. He's got this sword. But this is a trope in in Westerns yeah, where absolutely. the hero gets beat up and has to go and hide out somewhere yep. to recover and then comes back. We see it in Unforgiven. Yeah. And yep. we see it here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, it's that moment we talked about when we talked about Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. It's like going back when yeah. there's really no hope. Yeah. And no reason. You know, like, because uh, part of the problem was he said, oh, two bosses is worse than one. Right. Now well, there's one. There's one. Yeah. You know, and is he a bad guy? Yes. Um, but did he beat you up? Yes, but they were totally justified in beating him up. Yes. He killed six of the... He's killed nine of their men. He tricked them, yeah. Yeah, and tricked them. You know, so yes, they were... You know, it's like, but he's going to go back. (laughs) And we have our final showdown. Mm -hmm. Again, you can feel the Western in this. Yeah. And man, so we talked about Kurosawa in Love and Rain. Kurosawa loves wind. Yeah. There's like big jet engines blowing... Not jet engines, but big airplane engines blowing this wind around. There is some serious dust (laughs) um, blowing through this scene. Um, and now we're finally using wide lenses, which mm-hmm. mostly we've been using these telephoto lenses. Sorry, we see the innkeepers here to watch it, and we got Mifuni with a sword yeah. facing 10 men, one of whom has a gun. Yep. This does not seem like good odds. And by the way, they part of what they, they, they have the innkeeper tied up, hanging from a thing, right. and, um, and when this showdown is going to happen who runs in the coffin maker runs in to cut the innkeeper down right so he bugged out on Mifuni in the coffin but he kind of makes up for it a little bit well just moment. like the innkeeper made up for messing up the the paper on the table by tricking uh, Eno to help him carry Mifuni out there but yeah it's the it's the uh, coffin maker who comes and tells him that they've captured uh, right. right the innkeeper and they, so they know Mifuni's coming now I'll skip ahead okay. and now we're in this final moment yeah. and this to me this is the archetype Mifune, samurai movie, facing down the 10 guys in the middle of the street, the wind blowing. This is the iconic moment in film that even if you haven't seen this movie, this is in your consciousness. Because so many films and so many movies have been influenced by this. This is such a big moment. Yeah. And there's such a confidence that he's walking into the situation. And uh, was it Uno? Is that his character, the guy with the gun? Yeah, yeah Uno is like so confident that he can handle the situation because he has the gun, yeah. right? And no one has like, everyone's been afraid of him with the gun. So the way the Mufuni handles it, Sanjuro handles it, he walks it and then he walks so confidently because no one, everyone else is backed down as soon as he pulls right. the gun out. So he's almost putting him on edge by not backing down. And then the quick movement through the knife 
hit, hits his arm, so he shoots. With, yep. He misses with the stand. He slices him up, slices everyone, and it's so fast. Ten guys in ten seconds. Oh, it's so fast. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. so great. Too, because where fight scenes are gonna go yeah. is into slow motion and into right. So you can really, and that's not what this movie does. This no. movie is like this is over instantly. Yeah, um, and yeah, ten guys in ten seconds. And I think that moment of facing down Uno and the gun—that's like a death wish moment. Mm-hmm. That is like I am in the moment of my death. Yes, I'm gonna die or not die. And and then even even after that, Uno still is trying to play this game like he's gonna. <laughs> And, and this is again even more death wishy. He says, "If only I could hold my gun again." Don't worry, it only had two bullets. Yeah. Which, of course, we all know that gun doesn't. There's no gun that has two bullets. Right. That looks like that. This right. is a revolver. Right. And I think that uh, Sanjuro knows that the gun has more bullets, mm-hmm. but he gives him the gun. That to me is a moment of, I'll die or I won't die. Yeah. You know. Right. And I'm going to just sit here. And see what happens. Right. Which is, of course, the undercurrent of the whole, to me, his character. He's That's a what gambler. I was just going to say. He's a gambler. Yeah. Well, and the, the his whole motivation of going to this town is, I'm going to die or I'm not going to die. Yes. You know, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that his life on some level isn't as important to him right. as experiencing whatever he's going to experience. Yeah. And Uno doesn't have it in him to kill him. The, the gun falls down. Mm-hmm. It um, shoots, though. He says everything's going dark. He doesn't have the strength to shoot him. He still shoots the gun. So there was a bullet in yep, that chamber. Definitely was a bullet there. So he could have killed him. Yeah. So when he picks up the gun, he, he tries to shoot him. And this is a great moment. Where you just said, Steve, you're right. It's like, it, I'm going to die or not going to die. It's him yeah. putting it on the table. But I think this also speaks to the kind of uh, person he is, Sanjuro Sanjuro. Trusts in himself, but he's also like, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right. you know. And there's not there's not a huge weight to everything that he does. And so, in so we see, and then we hear the the guy come out banging the drums. Who we right. talked about at the beginning that he bangs the drum, trying to restore the town or restore his power in the town uh, as the mayor. It's uh, a pretty crazed moment. Yeah, yeah. it is. He's it, nuts. And but then Nakadai is not dead still, yeah. and says like, oh, I'll see you at the gates of hell and. Blah, blah, blah. And so there's still more that he, which I think Kurosawa is in maybe in the back of his mind thinking that this guy is going to take over at some point, you know? And so it is five years later before they stop working together, him and Mufuni, but I think he sees lead. He sees something in this guy. Yeah, he does. Which why he gives him such an extended death scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then eventually uh, they have, yeah, he doesn't say goodbye to the innkeeper. He has that, this little moment. Well, well, the guy who's the banging the drum goes off and kills. kills the other mayor. Kills the other, the other, the rival merchant. Right. The, more sorry, the rival merchant. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and then, yes. And then Sanjuro walks off into the distance yeah. with the music. And this is goes to the question that you asked earlier: is what just happened to the town? Yeah. It did. Did Sanjuro save the town, or did he kill the town? Right. And since one mayor just killed the other, or one merchant just killed the other, and that guy seems fairly crazy yeah and we have the only other two people we there were some prostitutes yeah. and a lot of them maybe got killed when they burnt down Sebe's place maybe. and um we have an innkeeper and a coffin maker yeah. who are two kind of old guys the couple with the kid they left they're gone right um there's one person that that uh Sanjuro does not kill 
Yes. And that is the farmer's kid we met at the beginning of yeah. the movie. I love he how lets that him wraps live. it up. He lets him live. And that guy runs off back to the farm. Yeah. Who's left in the town? Probably just the innkeeper. I mean, is that... So it seems like he just killed the town. <sighs> Maybe, but the innkeeper is going to have a lot of money. Because there's those, <laughs> sure. both those gangs have a lot of money in their store stores somewhere, you know. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So there's everybody. A, we know there's been fifty Ru, exactly. Ryu all here all the time, right? right. Yeah, and off goes Sanjuro. Yeah, and he's gone. And I haven't seen Sanjuro in a long time. The, the sequel. The sequel. Me either. So I don't know if they reference what happens to the town in some throwaway line or something. So yeah, you're I right. Know. I don't know what. You're right. It's a good question. Does the town survive? Did he do the right thing? Because if all these gang guys are dead. Who's going to take over the town? Yeah, the merchant is there, but who's going to become mayor? Who's going to become... A, who's left? Because we didn't see a lot of the other citizens of the town. You're right. Well, and it's, you know, the morality of Yojimbo is pretty black and white. Yes. It's you're one of the bad guys. You deserve to die. Yes. That's it. It's not like... And it's spoken two or three times. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you just deserve to die. I'm going to wipe you all out. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, oh, you're kind of a not a nicer person and you're more responsible or right. less responsible. No, yeah. no. You deserve to die. So what do you think about that moment when he sends the son back? Is that, is that Kurosawa saying something about agriculture versus chasing fame, chasing status? Or do, or I think so, yeah. Do yeah, think? I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, Kurosawa has a pretty, I would say, conservative moral structure. Yes. You know, like his kind of sense of what is right and wrong is pretty traditional yeah um and resistant to some kinds of change yeah um he also is you know big advocate of freedom of speech and freedom of the artist and a right. lot of other stuff uh, but definitely kind of and he's interested in sort of those kind of basic fundamental moral questions yeah so john final thoughts on yojimbo yeah this is one of the my favorite uh, kurosawa films probably second to seven samurai because of how it broke the, like I said at the beginning, how it broke the samurai convention of, the, of samurai film, the convention of samurai films, but also because it's Mifune's really, it's really a star turn, like really where he Absolutely. embraces yeah, yeah. becoming a star. And Kurosawa tailors the movie to all his talents. And it works so well. And he fleshes it out with these incredibly interesting, fun characters. Some are stock and some are more fleshed out, more complex right. characters. Because we see this becoming a thing in the 60s and 70s with, these, with the characters. They're not just stock anymore. There's more going on here. And so it speaks to so much of what's happening, not only agriculturally and technology-wise and government-wise at that time. It also speaks to what's happening currently in the 60s, but it could still echo into now in the 2017s. You know, we, we have stuff that's going on here, too, that is happening with our changes in our culture and our society. So it echoes through. But if you strip all of that away, it's just a fantastically fun film with a great lead and an awesome Western in yeah. samurai garb. Yeah, That's what I would it's, say. It's a Western Eastern yeah, Western as, Eastern. As, as yeah. they said, as Bruce Lee said about Kung Fu, about the TV show, what do you want it to be? Um, oh, oh yeah, it's a Western, but an Eastern. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that occurred to me um, as you were saying that, because we talked about the split of Mifune and Kurosawa, yeah. is that, and this is the movie where Mifune goes from being an actor to an icon. Yes, and maybe that's part of the split. You know, is that you know he can't be a collaborator, he can't be a you know, an underling to Kurosawa anymore because right. now his stature has become star. It's mm -hmm. become icon. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why the collaboration had to end. Yeah. You know? And you have to watch that documentary because Mufuni becomes yeah. a, a... He's a very big drinker. And yeah. he's very so angry. Is he's very angry when he drinks. So there mm -hmm. may have been some incredibly terrible yeah. fights between them. Yeah. Um, Kurosawa, one of the things that's striking in his autobiography, by the way, mm -hmm. is that... Is how much time is spent talking about alcohol. <laughs> I mean, it is like... 
you know, like he was out of money because he spent it all on alcohol. Wow. Like that's that happens over and over again. Holy crap. And he like, and then we went and I mean, there's just so many of the stories center around. And then we went and drank and we drank all night. I mean, he was a serious, serious wow. drinker. Um, so it's funny. So my final thoughts, I was, when I watched it a few days ago, I remember mm-hmm. I, I, I to- called you and told you, man, this movie's not deep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's fun, but not deep. And then as I've been thinking about it, <laughs> It's not that it's heavy or complex or intellectual in any way, it, it, but I'm starting to think that I was wrong in that first assessment mm-hmm. is that, and it's kind of deep the way a haiku can be deep, mm-hmm. you know, like a haiku or Japanese calligraphy or some kinds of Japanese art appear very simple on the surface mm-hmm. and you go, I, I, I can't come up with a brilliant haiku on the spirit of the moment, but, sure. but you'll hear something about a waterfall or about, you know, the rain or about uh, a boat going down the river and you'll go, Oh, that's pleasant right. when you read the haiku. And then as you ponder it and you spend sort of more time, you it, it's simplicity allows your brain to sort of float mm-hmm. on a certain level. And I feel like that's kind of, your Jimbo is very simple and it doesn't, directly introduce a lot of complicated ideas Mm -hmm. and yet there's something in the poetry of it that maybe is kind of deep and is something to contemplate and not come up with an answer in the way that you don't come up with an answer to a classic zen question right you know that you're it is the contemplation of the unknowable and sanjuro's character is definitely unknowable that leads you somewhere yeah but where it leads you i couldn't really tell you yeah and and i love that it creates an iconic character that we'll see again with Clint Eastwood yep. and we'll see again as currently as John Wick. Yeah. We don't have the background. We don't know where this guy came from. Only through exposition and other people's conversations do we get to know this person yep. and then this person just wreaks havoc on the bad people and walks away. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, wonder if we'll ever do the John Wick cinephiles. <laughs> We're 10 years out. Yeah, we got a little ways. Um, so... Uh, that's what we think about Yojimbo. Of course, as always, we want to hear what you think about Yojimbo. You can uh, visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there on iTunes, please leave us a review. You can subscribe on Stitcher. You can su- subscribe on YouTube. And of course, yeah. we read all your comments on YouTube. We don't always have time to respond to all of them, but we definitely read them. We really, really appreciate them. Yeah. And you can join us by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash The Cinephiles, there are all sorts of different levels where we have great... Great rewards for all of you, and we love uh, your support. It helps us to keep the show going. Um, and as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says, R O C H A. And of course, my other podcast, The Outlaw Nation Podcast, it's on the SK Plus Podcast channel. And then on Movie Talk every Friday at 10 a.m., you can see me there as well. And of course, and thanks so much to everyone who's left comments already and ratings, and also everyone who's donated so far with Patreon. It's yeah. been really surprising and humbling for both of us to, I think, I can speak for Steve say that humbling Absolutely. for both of us see how many people really love the show and want to support the show and keep it going and it, it you know tell your friends tell your family tell as many people as possible because we got on that list of up and coming film yeah that was a really cool one right so yeah. we want we definitely think we've got a great show here that should find a wider audience so help us do that in any way that you can yeah Go door to door if you have to. If you have to, yes. Yeah. But don't like so- get one side against each other or no, anything no, no, like no. that. Like don't start a war in a village over right. the cinephiles. It's not worth it, friends. No, it really is. All right. So that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on the cinephiles. Catch
Fairfax is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 